0: Hello, and welcome to Big Ideas into Action. This is WRI's podcast, Relaunched. I'm Nicholas Walton, and in this episode, the big idea is the sustainable ocean economy. And to find out how it's being put into action, we hear from the Prime Minister of Norway.
1: This report shows that for every dollar you invest, you have a return of $5. And that's, of course, critical when we are all trying to build better after the COVID crisis.
0: And later, the president of Palau.
2: This is what the world needs right now, to look to the ocean for our blue recoveries and for the long-term sustainable development.
0: So, the sustainable ocean economy, what exactly is it and why is it worth getting excited about? Well, WRI's Ocean Programme's big job is to act as the secretariat for the High-Level Panel for a Sustainable Ocean Economy, and they've been looking at these questions from every angle. In essence, it's about looking at how effective protection, sustainable production and equitable prosperity can go hand in hand. One of the main papers the Ocean Panel commissioned tries to run the figures on this and comes up with some remarkable results. The lead author is Mansi Konar. I asked her what the big idea is.
3: Nicholas, for far too long, the oceans have been overlooked. Uh, in terms of providing tangible solutions to address the crisis that the world faces today. When we think about the ocean, we think about the impact of climate change on ecosystems and marine habitats. We think about overfishing, ocean pollution, biodiversity loss, but we rarely think about ocean's ability to overcome these challenges, address these challenges, and bring about prosperity to the economy.
0: So in effect, you're, you're saying don't think so much of the ocean as the victim of uh, of humanity of climate change of many of the other things that are going on and many of the challenges that we that we see plastic in the ocean overfishing etc but actually also to think of it as as the big solution or, or one of the main solutions that we can turn to to not just help ourselves but help fix many aspects of what's wrong at the minute
3: ocean should be our new ally in this fight against climate change. We look at various ocean-based activities and how we could make them more sustainable. And investments that allow to do so will yield at least $5 return for every $1 invested. So the scale of benefits is five times compared to the scale of costs, which is a huge margin. So first, ocean-based food production, where we find that investing in producing more sustainable ocean-based food will yield at least nine times more benefits compared to the cost. We know that the population is going to grow substantially by 2050. We will need more protein. And if this protein comes from the ocean instead of high carbon-intensive meat, then there will be substantial returns, not only in terms of health benefits, but also in terms of environmental, social and economic benefits.
0: Mansi, can I ask how that fits in with the perception that many people have that, for instance, fish stocks are under threat around the world?
3: Without reforming fisheries, without uh, making sure that we are effectively managing the fish population, we won't get the benefits that has been described in the paper. And in fact, by reducing fishing effort, the increase in productivity will lead to a long-term benefit. But that will not be sufficient to meet the food demand that we need for the future. And that's where sustainable aquaculture production comes in.
0: So you're talking about, for instance, fish farms, shrimps, etc. Are you talking about other forms of food?
3: We talk about fed aquaculture, where we are looking at mainly fish species, so like salmon. But we also talk about non-fed aquaculture, which includes shellfish and bivalves. So, for example, mussels and oysters.
0: One of the other areas that you look at is is offshore energy production. Uh, so there we're looking mainly at wind, is that correct?
3: Yes, there are many forms of ocean energy, but for the purpose of this analysis, we may predominantly focus on offshore wind. The range of benefits that we see is on average about a $10 return for every $1 invested this is huge. The benefits that we assess are predominantly health benefits as well as environmental benefits.
0: One of your colleagues, your co-author on this, uh, Helen Ding, she wrote the section or did a lot of the research in the section on mangroves. So we're going to hear from her now talking about mangroves and, and the benefit that they give to the communities living around them.
4: Mangroves are type of ecosystems are. Or- Located in the coastal areas, and they can be also wetlands in some areas and swamps in the coastal areas. that are important for providing fishing ground for fishery growth and shrimps. And they're ex- extended over 123 countries, and you find them mostly in the tropical areas. And the benefits are provided in terms of coastal protections. For example, protecting local people from um, storm surges and cyclones and sea level rise. They also provide important sequestration benefits or carbon mitigation and also they provide important nurturing ground for fishery productions in local communities. Mangrove protection requires very minimum efforts. You basically leave them regenerate by themselves with minimum protection and that actually lower the cost. It is important to protect mangroves as early as possible. So early investment is important to avoid very high cost that will happen in the future. Do you think that communities
0: understand just how economically vital the mangroves that they live alongside are?
4: It's not always the case. We've done a study some time ago in Suriname where we have seen the cases. Uh, local communities are actually insisting on using the dams to protect local coastal systems instead of mangroves and they're actually cutting mangroves for fishing ground. Local communities don't really understand the correlation between mangrove protection and the increase of fishing productivity. So that's why sometimes it requires a lot of scientific studies to show the science, scientific evidence to local communities and to better communicate with them.
0: And that was Helen Ding talking about mangroves and the, the, and the extremely high economic benefits that can be gained from investing in them, protecting them, etc. So back to you, Mansi, uh, you also spoke about decarbonising freight services and, and so on in the ocean transport.
3: Yes, we look at a range of options to achieve decarbonization of shipping. The benefits that we see from this analysis is the returns are about $2 to $5 for every $1 invested. There is going to be a significant expenditure when we move towards low carbon fuels, but the s- returns are going to be significant in terms of health benefits that we get from reducing greenhouse gases.
0: If there was one thing that you want people to take away from, from this report that you've just authored, what is it? What, what's the one thing that, that you're really, really, really keen that people pick up on?
3: I come from East India, and my region, as well as Bangladesh, has seen one of the most severe cyclones that's happened in the last 70 years. This has cost lives, livelihoods of people who are very poor from poor communities, as well as ecosystems. But the losses would have been so much more significant if we did not have the Sundarbans, one of the largest mangroves, to protect the population. So these investments are not just about economic recovery, though they deliver them, it is for protecting the people and protecting the planet. And we need to stop thinking about ocean as just a victim of climate change and start talking more about how ocean-based solutions can uh, help achieve economic recovery post-COVID and build in resilience in the system.
0: And that was Mansi Kona, and you also heard the voice of Helen Ding. As Mansi suggested, the Ocean Panel has been looking at exactly how a sustainable ocean economy can be part of the response to the COVID crisis. And that's the subject of another Ocean Panel paper that's just been published. The lead author is Eliza Northrop.
5: So like the sort of land-based economy, the pandemic has had, um, you know, significant impact on ocean sectors and significantly disrupted uh, global supply chains Uh, Ocean industries do not operate in isolation from one another or from the ocean environment that they are part of, which has really led to a cascading and interrelated impacts across the entire ocean economy as well as land-based economy as well. With the decline in in international tourist arrivals, coastal tourism sector uh, saw a really sharp drop in revenue, putting hundreds of millions of jobs at risk for coastal communities, for small island-developing states This has led to um, at least 7.5 billion fall in GDP, um, which has had unprecedented flow on effects for supply chains, small scale and artisanal fishers, and the ability to really undertake marine conservation in these areas. Um, Seafood sectors have been affected again, you know, fall in demand due to the closure of restaurants and hotels and the drop in tourism that I mentioned um, as well as the shipping sector, despite being the primary sort of global supply chain during the pandemic, the sector is now facing revenue losses of up to $1.9 billion by the end of this year. Sort of looking at, at more the people or the, the community level, already vulnerable communities living along the coast, particularly women within the tourism and fishery sectors, um, have been really hard hit. You may not know that women represent you know, 70% of the workforce in aquaculture. Um, and anywhere between 80 to 90% in the post-harvest sector uh, in the fishing industry. So this has has really impacted uh, many of the uh, already um, highly vulnerable communities along our coasts.
0: Uh, What is your main argument that you're making in this paper?
5: You know, one-third of the people uh, live within about 100 k's of the coast. The ocean itself supplies, you know, over 3 billion people with their daily protein needs fishing industry, you know, alone employs, I think, close to 250 million people. The fiscal measures that have been announced so far by governments in response to the crisis are already three times greater than those that were made available following the 2008-2009 financial crisis. And more is expected to come as we shift from sort of immediate stimulus spending and into recovery investments. So far, this is in the order of about 10 trillion US dollars, which is really unprecedented in terms of global spending. So how we spend this money will essentially determine our future and our children's future for generations to come. Very few of the measures that have been announced to date target the ocean economy, and even less are aimed at using this moment to invest in a more sustainable and equitable ocean economy that is fit for improving economic growth, economic resilience and the communities that rely on the ocean. And this is a real significant missed opportunity, but it's not too late to address the gap between some of those impacts we're seeing um, and the early responses. And there's some really great initiatives proposed already, such as Norway's investment in in hydrogen power and battery storage technology to really spur further decarbonisation of their shipping sector and continuing to scale their offshore wind, or Vietnam's new solar power feed-in tariff that um, includes floating solar energy projects is really innovative and is really starting to point in the right direction towards a sustainable ocean economy. There's also significant potential in some of the announcements where we don't see those details yet. So many countries are highlighting the opportunities to invest in nature, to build ecological resilience, um, or the importance of investing in renewable energy for clean jobs. So as they develop more specific priorities and plans for implementation, we see a real opportunity to look at how these can be translated into the ocean economy. Uh, We shouldn't be limited to just looking at land-based measures, which is one of our key takeaways of the report.
0: You break it all down into five broad solution areas that you concentrate on. Uh, Can you talk us through those quite briefly?
5: So these five opportunities are really uh, opportunities that are ready for immediate investment and which respond directly to the priorities that we're hearing from governments now. And these are the need to create short-term jobs or ensure protection of jobs while starting to build that long-term economic resilience. And each of these five opportunities also target affected communities from COVID as well as helping governments meet their long-term international commitments under the SDGs and the Paris Agreement. So the five that we've identified that, that meet these criteria are investment in coastal and marine ecosystem restoration, the second priority, is investment in sewerage and wastewater infrastructure for coastal communities. Third priority is investing in sustainable, community-led, non-fed mariculture. So that's marine aquaculture that doesn't rely on on feed. So shellfish, oysters, mussels, as well as seaweed. The fourth option uh, is investing in incentives uh, for zero emission marine transport. And fifth, is providing incentives to catalyse sustainable ocean-based renewable energy.
0: And how practical are these solutions?
5: As with anything, um, it really comes down to, to political will and leadership within government. Each of the opportunities, particularly these five that we've identified, are ready to be implemented now. We've got the technology available. We know how to do this. We've got great examples.
0: Final question. Having worked on the paper, what single lesson would you take away from what you
4: found?
5: I think this has been an incredibly tough year um, that I think has deeply shaken everything we've come to know and rely on. However, I think the report shows that this can also be a time for renewal and refocusing on core priorities for the future. Everyone wants to continue their livelihoods, have food security, enjoy time in nature and provide opportunities for future generations. And this is what a sustainable ocean economy can deliver. It will take bold vision and political leadership, but it is possible.
0: And that was Eliza Northrop. You're listening to Ideas into Action, the relaunched podcast from the World Resources Institute. So, you've heard the ideas that the ocean can be a solution to the world's challenges rather than the victim of human activity, and that the sustainable ocean economy ought to be a critical part of our response to the COVID crisis. But how does all of this translate into action from the Arctic to the equator? To answer that, we can hear from two world leaders from opposite ends of the earth and governing two very different oceanic countries. First, we look to Norway and its Prime Minister, Erna Solberg.
1: One of the Main learning points or things that we should emphasize in the debate in the future is that there is a great return on investments from investing in the ocean economy. I mean, this report shows that for every dollar you invest, you have a return of $5. And that's, of course, critical when we are all trying to build better after the COVID crisis. I think making sure that you get returns on your investments is one of the most important parts. The second thing, of course, is to know that so far the type of stimulus packages that have been given has not really reached the communities and the businesses coming out of the ocean as much as other businesses. We should increase that because there are so many people in these sector that is connected to the oceans tourism but also fisheries and others that have been so deeply affected by the COVID-19 crisis that and the communities that they really need uh, a stronger support.
0: And, and what is the use the practical use of analysis like this from uh, from the ocean panel to Norway? How are you going to be able to use it?
1: Well we're going to use it in our international work to uh, emphasise that we can't just have a a conventional view of looking at the oceans just for working against the uh, challenges that we see with pollution in the oceans. We have to work on sustainable economic development, the interdependence between jobs creation, clean oceans, making sure that the economies are functioning for countries is extremely important for us. I think they have really given us a, a very good background for The Ocean Panels Action Agenda, which we are going to release hopefully late this year on how we can make production more effective, sustainable production, making sure that we have a fair prosperity when it comes to coastal communities, but also, of course, improving our resilience against everything from environmental, economic, but also, of course, health crisis in the future
0: just a very quick question on the ocean panel and and the importance of its setup having so many different types of of ocean based uh, economies in it how important is it for the ocean panel to have such a representative group of countries taking part
1: i think it's extremely important and i think we have more in common than the size and the development of our countries uh, could indicate because we are all dependent on the oceans, we are dependent on fishery, fishery resources not being depleted, we are dependent on our oceans being clean. And even if we are in different dependencies and economic developments, I think what we are sharing is, in fact, uh, this urgency feeling that we have to do something for the oceans and that we have to, that our economic development is depending on it, whether we are a rich country or a much poorer country. And I think it's also important that through this work we can learn from each other. Successful policy in one area can be adopted to other countries, and that's what we are trying to do.
0: Can I ask you about your own priorities sitting up there in Norway? Uh, What are your priorities, having analyzed some of the work that's been done by the Ocean Panel with these papers, uh, and and deciding on what your own priorities are, which priority areas to, to tackle next?
1: I'm one of those irritating politicians that believe that everything depends on everything. So asking me to give one priority when you're talking about the biodiversity of the oceans, when you're talk- talking about oceans where water are going through the whole atmosphere, going back, running around the whole world, is very difficult. What we have really seen is, of course, that to make sure that we can... Uh, have integrated ocean planning that we see the, the dependence between land-based activities of course through you know the over nutrition in the water they to make sure that it's not getting to acid oceans that you're doing all of these things together is extremely important but if, for Norway of course we believe that there is a, a huge possibilities in the future when it comes to a protein from the ocean, but it has to be clean. Nobody wants to eat microplastic, so you have to have clean ocean. Ocean farming is important in our country. We believe that there are numerous of areas where you can get new medicines, uh, uh, new nutrition areas from the oceans. There's so much possibilities for healthy food from the oceans if we are doing this correctly. And we believe that this is an area of future development for our country.
0: What is it that you that has surprised you personally about the research that's been going on into a sustainable ocean economy and the possibilities that are there?
1: Well, I think the report that was made before the last year's UN um, General Assembly meetings and the summit that we had on environment and on the climate, showing that the ocean can deliver one-fifth of the answers to the climate crisis, I think it surprised me. I, I wasn't thinking that I know that the ocean's had problems due to climate change, uh, acidification, for example, and and a lot of these issues were there, but that they also were such a large part of the solution, I think was, uh, to me, maybe the most astonishing new things to learn about. And then, of course, for every uh, scientific report the panel is getting, I think I'm learning a little bit more about the oceans. And I think uh, we still have to remember that there are areas in our world deep down in the seas that we still know, too little about.
0: That was Prime Minister Erna Solberg of Norway. To get a very different perspective, I also spoke to the President of Palau, a scattered archipelago of tiny tropical islands in the Pacific. Here's Thomas Remenguesau.
2: For Palau, both these reports demonstrate uh, that the benefits from sustainable ocean investments are not only financial benefits, but also provide uh, better health outcomes, uh, richer biodiversity. Uh, livelihood benefits, and really more jobs to the local communities, among others. This is what the world needs right now, to look to the ocean for our blue recoveries and for the long-term sustainable development. The choices countries make today and priorities we set will have important implications for future generations. We believe that investing in the ocean is not about the fish themselves, but really about people's livelihoods and resilience to crisis because we depend on the ocean. The most uh, striking area of the economic analysis report is its analysis of mangrove conservation and restoration. And yet we're still seeing net loss of mangroves globally. In Palau, mangrove conservation already features heavily in our conservation plans. Palau's protected area network, which has been in place for some time, has been part of the broader Micronesian challenge to protect 30% of near shore areas among the Micronesian states and territories. Many of these near shore protected areas include mangrove forests, and they are home to the mangrove crab, which is a locally consumed food in our markets and a favorite of all visitors. These mangroves also provide protection from storm surges and coastal erosion, which are of growing concern with sea level rise, which is of primary importance for island states and coastal communities everywhere. We've always known that mangroves have these broader benefits and their contributions to ecosystems, including as fish nurseries. But this analysis is helping us to quantify these contributions so that we can better account for them and better protect them. The other part of the economic analysis report that is highly relevant to Palau is its emphasis on sustainable seafood because this also aligns with our national and health objectives. The Palau National Marine Sanctuary has begun its implementation phase since the beginning of this year, with its no-take, fully protected area of of 500,000 square kilometers. But this protected area is also meant to support a domestic fishing industry in the other 20% of our exclusive economic zone. This industry doesn't exist at the moment and we build it up in a careful manner to develop a proper cold chain and efficient fishing vessels, then hopefully we can also support sustainable open ocean fishing. We can also improve local access to healthy pelagic fish, which will address our long-standing non-communicable disease problem of which obesity and the overconsumption of processed food is a major part. There was another report from the Food and Agriculture Organization earlier in the year which also highlighted that just 65.8% of global fish stocks are within biologically sustainable levels. So the findings in the analysis about the value of aquaculture is also important to take pressure off wild fisheries. We've had some experience of this in Palau in terms of giant clams and parrotfish and fish. but we can do much more to ensure that we are harvesting ocean-based protein in a sustainable way. This ocean panel analysis is not just about the long-term. The COVID-19 and the Ocean O-Report also shows how smart ocean-based investment now can deliver tangible short-term benefits such as job creation in local communities, especially in this pressing pandemic. COVID-19 and the Ocean Report also highlights the economic impact of the pandemic on ocean economies, and so for island states like Palau, This has been especially severe for our tourism sector, which has gone to zero, zero tourism. We are COVID-free, but we are not free of COVID's economic impacts. All over the world, the ocean economy, ocean workers, and coastal communities have been severely impacted by the COVID-19 crisis, and we are also impacted likewise. So there is also an opportunity here in new stimulus packages and international funding support to put us on a course towards more equitable, resilient and sustainable ocean economy. Blue recoveries go hand in hand with green ones. Investing indeed in our waste management systems will deliver both benefits for tourism but also for the community and for coastal ecosystems through reducing pollutants and waste leakage from land to the sea. For Palau, this type of investment will help to right-size our tourism industry, so that it doesn't exceed our carrying capacity and be ready to attract the tourists that really value our pristine paradise.
0: So, what practical use is this analysis as you as you try to rebuild this sustainable ocean economy that you talk about in Palau?
2: So, as policymakers, we when we are deciding on particular policy choices, we always need to weigh up the cost and benefits. These reports help to quantify these costs and benefits so that we can make more informed decisions. For developing countries and islands like Palau, there is a temptation to always be drawn to the short-term, narrow economic figures that can show up in next year's growth, unemployment or tax figures. These reports help us to avoid neglecting the ocean's potential in our economic planning.
0: So what are the priorities now for Palau?
2: Well, what we need next are partnerships and coalitions to help island states uh, to make the benefits from these investments a reality, to draw in new resources and expert scientific and technical advice, to guide choices over how to design and implement these investments. This is also how this can be part of uh, blue recoveries to the economic impacts of the pandemic. We have an opportunity to build back bluer, The panel's work, including the action coalitions that are emerging to support implementation of our shared agenda, will no doubt uh, be critical to this work. In the sectors that are priorities for Palau, tourism, fisheries, aquaculture, nature-based solutions for coastal protection, these are ample opportunities for investments to support jobs, health and conservation all at the same time. Palau is acutely aware that ocean degradation falls heaviest on those least responsible for causing it, exacerbating an already staggering unequal distribution of marine resources, and the inequities worsened in this pandemic. Equity is a prerequisite to achieving a sustainable ocean economy, and the new economy analysis shows the investments can pay off in social, health, economic, and environmental benefits in the long run. At the same time, the COVID report does confirm similar actions can bring short-term jobs and economic relief, and we are carefully looking at these opportunities for a sustainable and equitable blue recovery.
0: That was Thomas Remingessau, the President of Palau, giving the Tropical Island Nation perspective on developing a sustainable ocean economy. You can find all the papers and analysis that we've been discussing on our website, wri.org, or on oceanpanel.org. But before we go, we have a short new feature about my colleagues in the World Resources Institute. Who are they and what motivates them? In this first episode about the ocean, we're going to hear from one of my colleagues who works in the ocean team from our London office.
6: Hi, my name is Connie Williams and I work in communications as part of the ocean team at WOI London. I was born and raised in Hong Kong. The closest ferry was a 20 minute walk away. Every weekend during my summer breaks, my family and friends would visit beaches around Hong Kong. And one experience that stuck with me was when I brought my dog to the beach for the first time. And within the first 10 minutes of letting her go, her pore was sliced open by a broken beer bottle. I remember running around trying to find a vet clinic and feeling so frustrated at what we humans were doing to our Earth and our ocean. And this feeling has never left me to this day. In fact, I feel more frustrated than ever. We are all suffering the consequences of taking our green and blue nature for granted. And it's right in front of our faces. I'm really grateful that my work allows me to make a difference in the world.
0: And that was Connie Williams ending this first episode in a new series of Big Ideas Into Action podcasts from WRI with me, Nicholas Walton. We'll be putting out a fresh episode on the big ideas we work on every week for the next five or six weeks. Track us down wherever you download your podcasts and give us a rating. That's it for
3: now. Goodbye.